Amen. That's going to be a day, ain't it? Looking forward to it. Be all right if it was today. <laughs> Even before we get the preaching done, amen. You have a Bible tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. You're the man. <laughs> yeah, right. I know there's just something about singing about the Lord and then singing about the devil getting his tail kicked right into hell. <laughs> so, you know, if you listen to the stupid world, they're like, oh, that's terrible. No, that's wonderful. <laughs> you ever stop and think about how much the devil messes with you? Okay, I know, I understand. Look, look, we're, some of us, most of us are probably not as important to the devil, but you ever stop and think of how much the devil's imps mess with you? And how much your flesh messes with you? Uh, so when you get the body, the new brand new body, that's a blessing. You have to deal with your stinking flesh no more. And then, then the Lord takes care of the devil and kicks his tail right into hell. Man, I could run. I don't care. I got a brand new knee, but I, I'd run anyways, man. That's a blessing. <laughs> this is the first Samuel chapter 18. I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of, uh, I'm tired of its leaders. I'm tired of its rulers. I'm tired of uh, the I'm tired of the people in it, and they're tired of me, amen? But think about it. When we leave, some people are going to be really happy, amen? And uh, you can see how important the Lord is these days by uh, who comes to church, and I'm not complaining. I'm being honest with you. Uh, now, look, some of those who can't come here obviously don't get your knickers in a knot. We're not talking about those individuals, amen? Not, you know, don't, don't, don't get a spiritual wedgie over the thing. But if you can be here, you ought to be here, and I appreciate you coming. Not only that, but the Lord's got something for us. Uh, the Lord wouldn't say, uh, you know, the Lord wouldn't uh, die for the church and then uh, have put uh, give gifts to men, uh, pastors, teachers, uh, evangelists, so forth and so on, and then just for them to preach to air. Uh, and I believe God's got something for us tonight. You're at First Samuel chapter 18. I'll try to preach instead of just run my jaws here. I'm pretty good at the latter, though. <clears throat> now, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, you're all there. I'll have you stand one more time. We'll sing. Uh, we'll sing. We'll sing for the first five verses of 1 Samuel chapter 18 tonight. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> well, that, that one group, <laughs> I mean, they take every Bible verse, and they, they sound like a bunch of stinking hippies. But anyways... <laughs> All right, I'll get reading before I get in trouble. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we sure do love you tonight, and we're excited about going home. Father, I pray that you'd allow us to have the same excitement to stay and work for you. 
Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we preach. And Father, I pray that you'd uh, uh, give me the power that only comes through the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you'd help me not to say anything I shouldn't. Father, I pray that you'd uh, prepare, even now, the hearts and the ears of the hearers. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless what we're trying to do here. Father, we're not trying to build a kingdom. We're not trying to bring in a kingdom. Father, we're looking forward to the day where we get out of here. And Father, I pray that you'd feed us and Lord, prepare us for what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. <clears throat> now here in the first, actually four verses of First uh, Samuel chapter 18, it's a pretty interesting passage of Scripture. And you know, many of you know that the Scriptures declare in Romans chapter 15 verse 4 that the Old Testament was written for our learning. And there's a whole bunch of learning in the Old Testament. But not only was the Old Testament written for our learning, Romans chapter 15, verse 4 said it was written for our patience, our comfort, and our hope. So you ever stop and think of what a blessing you're missing if you don't read the Old Testament? There's a lot of comfort that can be given. Now listen, we need to be sound in our doctrine, no doubt about it. But it's those stories in the Old Testament that give us the patience and the comfort through the Scriptures. Amen. And here you have a first-rate example of comfort from studying the character and life of Jonathan, <clears throat> the, the son of Saul, King Saul. Jonathan, I would say, is that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And since the Bible states that a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, then the life of Jonathan reveals to you and I a great love, a great longing for truth, and loyalty to the man David, whom God would eventually put on his throne. And uh, I would say that much experience tells uh, me that a good friend is hard to come by. Hard to come by. But Jonathan in Scripture, he's a, he's a one in a million friend. And the character of a man I've learned over the years is often chiseled out of his uh, arena in life, his personal appetites, and his ability to secure good friends. Behind every good man, they say, is a good woman. But I'll say this, behind every good man is not only a good woman, but at least one good friend. I'd like to preach about Jonathan for just a little bit, the friend of David. For I believe in the passage, uh, there's a couple other passages we'll look at tonight. The life of Jonathan reveals some great qualities of a man that we can emulate in several ways, helping us to please the Lord through the life that he's given us. And you're going to need some friends in this life. And uh, I'd be choosy. I'd be real choosy about my friends. And uh, not all friends are good friends. But Jonathan, boy, he's a winner. He's a winner, winner, chicken dinner of a friend. And, uh, you know, we could criticize Jonathan. We might say something at the end, but it'd only be just from the scriptures that what we learn. But let me just try to walk into this thing. I want to preach about the greatest friendship in the Bible, uh, the greatest friendship. Uh, and here I want you to see, first of all, I want you to see Jonathan. He's a sentimental friend. He's a sentimental friend. In verse 1, you notice there in First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when he made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. There's a great sentimentality between Jonathan and David. And that word sentiment, that just simply means that which is prompted by passion or feeling. And you know what Jonathan's passion, his sentimentality was? It was simply his love for David, his love for David. And that's what verse 1 says, Jonathan loved him. Ain't that something? I wonder tonight if you have a friend 
that really loves you. I remember an evangelist preached one time, and I don't know, he was shouting the corn and stomping and snorting and all that stuff like a good evangelist would do. He'll come in, he'll blow, blow in, blow up, and blow out, you know. But he was preaching, he says, I wonder how many of your neighbors love you. And I got to thinking, I'm like, I wonder how many of my neighbors hate me. <laughs> but that's a great question. I wonder how many of your neighbors love you. And you know what's a good quality of a good friend? They're sentimental. They are love for you. And Jonathan, uh, Jonathan loved David. And uh, <clears throat> it's hard to get a good friend. But you know what? It's hard to be a good friend. Uh, a lot of times uh, a friendship has a learning curve to it. And I'm not trying to tell you like I have the reins uh, in life on being a friend. I'm probably a pest to some people. Because people that you really like, you'll pester them. Right? But a good friend will love you through being a pest. As one uh, uh, colored comedian who's in jail said, she's not your friend, she's your wife. But your wife often can be your best friend. But in the Christian life, uh, if you have a sentimental friend, it's, that sentimentality should be because they love you. They love you. And I was thinking about how difficult it is to be a friend, how difficult it is to not only be a friend, how difficult it is. And it is, is because we have so much baggage as people. All you got to do is get married and you see how much baggage you got. Amen? All right. The other married man in the room, he agrees. <laughs> and, uh, but the problem is, is you only usually see everybody else's baggage. You don't see your own bags. <laughs> Amen? Uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, the, the furniture salesman said, said it like this. He was selling furniture and he walked in he says, I've got this couch here, and it could seat five of your friends without a problem. And I got to thinking, I don't have five friends without a problem. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I might not even have five friends. I know it's an old joke, but still it, rem it reminds us of the old saying that human beings are like porcupines. And uh, we need each other for warmth, but our quills tend to get in the way. Amen? So the question comes like this, how do, how in the world do porcupets, that's a baby porcupine, that's the science, a porcupet, right? How do baby porcupines come into this world, right? Whoa. So uh, how do baby porcupine children come into the world considering that a porcupine will have up to 30,000 quills? Yeah, and we had a dog when I was a kid, and he would find at least 10,000 of those a season. Stupid dog. Yes, Dubers. <laughs> I remember him coming in a couple times. He looked like, you know, he just you know, wanted to French kiss a porcupine. But anyways, how in the world do porcupets, baby porcupines, come into the world considering all those quills? You say, well, that's, uh, that's a great question. Well, I guess in consideration for the perpetuation of the species, grown-up porcupines have figured out how to lay down their quills, at least for the necessary moment. So you say, what are you saying? I guess as believers, we have to learn to lay down our quills in life for the Lord, for the local church, for those we love, and our friends. Could you be a better friend if you didn't? If you'd learn to lay down your quills every once in a while. Some people try to get close as friends, and we got so much trouble. We got so many quills, nobody can get close. 
Amen? It's interesting that porcupet, they call it, <clears throat> when it's born, its quills are soft and tender. That's the way God made it. Isn't that true? God makes children soft and tender. And you know what makes the porcupine's quills hard? The heat of the world. How about that? Will that preach? You know what makes our kids bitter? You know what makes us bitter? Makes us tough? It's the heat of this world, isn't it? And that's what it is. But uh, the illustration is like this. To be a good friend, sometimes you just got to learn to lay down your quills. Lay down your quills. But you know what? Uh, Old Jonathan, uh, he's a sentimental friend. And his sentimentality was his love for David in verse 1. But I want you to notice this love here in verse 1. It was a bonding love. It was a bonding love. The Bible says in verse 1, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. I was thinking, most people love themselves. (laughs) Amen. Uh, Some people, they're really in love with themselves, and it really shows. You call them what? You call them a narcissist. Uh, You know, you've got some kind of activity, and they'll, on purpose, they'll be late. A narcissist will, uh, will, if they have a meeting or something, they'll have themselves paged just to hear their name over the intercom. (laughs) You say that doesn't happen. It does happen. I'm telling you, people today, even Christians, are in love with themselves And the Bible says in the last days men shall be lovers of their own selves. It takes work to love somebody. When you get married, to love somebody is a choice. (laughs) Amen? Uh, When you're uh, in love and it's ferocious love and romantic love and physical love, eventually through the process of time, well, that tank kind of starts to run a little dry. Then love truly becomes a choice. We doing all right tonight? I'm not trying to get into anyone's business here, but love is a choice. Jonathan chose to love. It was a bonding love. Uh, This bond was established through something that's really interesting as I see in verse 1. I'm not trying to give you a speech tonight. I'm trying to preach. I'm trying to preach about a friend. Look at verse 1. I want you to see how this bond was established. And any psychologist that gets anything right, they're going to get it through the Word of God. Notice in verse 1, you know what, what established the bond? It was established through Jonathan's listening. In verse 1, it says, When he, that's David, had made an end of speaking. You know what a good friend does? He shuts up and lets you talk. <laughs> you know, he's not tripping over you to, to say something, and before they can finish, you've got to butt in, and, you know, you always got the answer for everything, but a good friend will be willing to listen. I notice here in verse 1, that David had made an end of speaking. And and traditionally, if you listen to two men, (laughs) men talk, a a man will say, you know, the cow jumped over the moon, period. And then the other man will go, well, the little dog laughed to see such a sport. And then the man will go, yeah, but I heard the dish ran away with a spoon. You see what I'm saying? And this whole idea that a good friend, he ought to listen. He ought to listen. A good friend will listen. He was established through listening. I notice this, uh, Jonathan listened to David, just like Jesus listens to us. Old hymn writer said, I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. If you take your Bible for a second, go over to John chapter 20. You know, Jesus was a great listener. He was one of the greatest preachers and teachers in the Bible, but Jesus was a great listener, and he understood his friends. I think many times we don't understand our friends, and we uh, have a tendency to talk more than we listen But I'm just telling you, he was a sentimental friend. And this bond was uh, established through listening. 
Listening is a lost art. I'm not telling you I know exactly what I speak of. It's something I've had to get better at over the years, and I still have to improve upon it. But look at John chapter 20, if you would. Look at verse uh, 16, uh, back up to verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stood down and looked into the sepulcher. And you know that Mary's a mess here. She's a gal and she's a mess. The Lord has uh, been crucified, and he, for all she knows, he's just dead, right? But look at 12, and see the two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? That's a, that's a man for you, right? What are you crying for? <laughs> and uh, and uh, verse uh, uh, 13 says, She saith unto Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? <laughs> right? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, and you could just hear Mary, oh, Lord, I go. You know, she's just a mess. Emotionally, she's a mess. Look at Jesus in verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. That's all he says. I see that Jesus Christ says the minimal amount of things to get his friend's attention. I think we could be a friend like that. A friend that says, says the very minimalist, minimalist amount. That's probably not the right way to say it. But Jesus Christ, he said something, but he was a great Listener, and so is Jonathan. Jesus speaks mentally. You say, what's the takeaway for this being a good, godly friend? Be a listener. Learn to listen. Now, some people, I understand, they listen so they can have something to say. But you know what? Some of our friends, some of, uh, some of the sheep, they just need to get some stuff off their chest sometimes. Now, you're not the Lord. You're not a, you know, it's not confession booth. You're not a bartender. You're not a hairdresser. I mean, unless that's what you do for a living, Right. But sometimes people just need to speak. And a good friend, he's a, a listener. It was a bonding love. because, of, But notice this in verse 3, it was a binding love. It was a binding love. Look in verse 3, 18.3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, binding through an agreement. It was binding, I believe, because of Jonathan's affection. In verse 3, it says Jonathan loved him. You realize that love is going to be the glue in friendship. Love is the glue in friendship. Not only that, but if you look at, uh, uh, at that thing, it was binding because of their agreement. You say, I don't see an agreement. That's what a covenant is. When they covenant together, they agreed. You know what I know about David? David would never agree with anything that wasn't right at this point. The Bible says in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, uh, it says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And you know what I know about David to this point? He's a man after God's own heart. The prophet Samuel said it. Uh, one of the disciples backs it up in the book of Acts. Uh, and uh, he's a man after God's own heart. He's fighting the Lord's battles. He's actively engaged in serving the Lord. And you know what? You know why I think Jonathan loved him and made an agreement with him? Because he looked at his own father and said, Man, that guy won't get off his duff. He won't go fight the battle. He's a coward. And he was encouraged by David's ability to fight, by his desire to fight. And uh, I, think, I think Jonathan said, you know what, that's the kind of people I want to be around right there. And it was binding. It was binding because of Jonathan's affection. It was binding because of their agreement to love the Lord. But not only that, not only was Jonathan a sentimental friend, amen, he was a loving friend, but Jonathan, he here in verse 4, we find him to be a supplying friend, a supplying friend. I want you to think about the days 
that are in front of us. If you take a look around, things are not getting any better. They're not. If you think things are getting better, you're ready for the nuthouse. Things are getting continually worse. People's health are getting worse. The state of the union is worse. There's always one more conspiracy. There's always one more whatever is going on and one more natural disaster. Things are not getting better. We're closer to going home than we ever have been before. But here's the thing. You're going to need some good friends. And I think as Bible believers, independent Bible believers, one preacher said it like this, we are independent of our independence. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing wrong with having a good Bible-believing friend that you can uh, have a good relationship with with the Lord. But he's a supplying friend. And in verse 4, I want you to see this. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 4, not only is he a sentimental friend, but he's a supplying friend. He's wanting to help him out. The Bible says in verse 4, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David, and his garments even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Now, that's a friend. That's a friend. You say, you know, okay, great, he's a supplying friend. If you have a friend, do you take care of him? Do you treat him right? Do you try to do something special for him? Well, the Lord does that to you. The Lord is the friend that sticketh closer than the brother, Right? And if you look at the thing from the stem of the Godhead, Jesus Christ is our brother, and he's closer than brother. Man, he's inside of every single one of you that are saved. And Jonathan is the supplying friend. So first of all, look at this in verse 4. First of all, I see carnal supplies. Carnal supplies. Silly, doesn't it sound? Carnal supplies. You know what a good friend does? Uh, he'll go get his friend a cup of coffee if his friend likes his coffee a certain way. You see what I mean? Carnal friends. So oh, that's ridiculous. Well, that's because you don't have too many friends. Wait till you get down, you know, down in the mouth and you want your caramel macchiata, you know, foofy drink with 13 shots of whatever, you know. And your friend brings it up to you and you're like, yeah, that's a good friend right there. You ever stop and think that we think so much about ourselves, it's hard to think of our friends sometimes? I know this might not be bringing down the house, but man, in these last days, we need some friends. We need the right kind of friends. You don't need to sacrifice your relationship with the Lord to pick up a piece of trash. Amen. But we need some good friends. And when you find a good friend, you might have to circulate through 30 of them before you find a good friend. But he's a supplying friend. You know what he does? He gives him his robe and his garment. So that's a little bit weird. Okay, so it's maybe a little shemetic and cuss. Here's the thing. David is what? He's a shepherd. I bet you David walks in with a, a, a you know, cut-off uh, flannel shirt. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you know, got his boots on. You know, he's a working man, right? And, Dave, and, and, you know, Jonathan's like, man, I got this little silk thing on, whatever. And like, well, here, you know, here, here, take it, you know. Actually, what I think is going on here is Jonathan knows that he has it very good in the kingdom. And he wants to be a blessing to David, who he thinks doesn't have much. But you know what? David's content to be, you know, dressed like Kurt Gibson. <laughs> he really is. He's like, hey, it's good. It's me and the Lord, my staff, and my sling, and we're good. But David, he's, uh, uh, Jonathan, he's given out carnal supplies. And that reminds me of a couple people. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 17. You might not be able to do much for your friend, but do you realize you can do something? Do you realize sometimes a carnal supply 
is one of the biggest spiritual blessings. It really is. I'll show you. 2 Samuel chapter 17. Now look at this thing. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 17. I think we often think that we have to be some great super spiritual giant where you can just be a good friend and bring someone a cup of coffee. If they like, now, if they don't like coffee, don't bring them coffee, right? You know, if chocolate milk is their thing, then every once in a while, just bring them a chocolate milk. Not like the skim milk garbage, like the heavy stuff, right? I mean, the, I mean, the stuff that you can't drink too much of, right, because of certain reasons. But now look at 2 Samuel chapter 17. <clears throat> now, that's a good friend. All right, now look at this. you got a fellow named Barzillia here. Now, notice this thing. Uh, let's see, what am I looking for? That's 17, 28. This fellow, yeah, look at 27. It came to pass when David was come to Maenaim, that Shobi, the son of Nahash, of Rabah, the children of Ammon, maker, the son of Amiel, Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite of that place right there. Verse 28, brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey, and now we're talking, and butter and sheep, and cheese of kind for David, and for the people that were with him to eat. For they said, the people is hungry, and weary, and thirsty in the wilderness. Just carnal supplies. You know sometimes what your friend needs? Just something carnal. Oh, that's terrible. That's why you ain't got no friends. <laughs> I'm, you see it right there. You know what David really needed? He needed the ability to win the battle. And Barzillia, I couldn't do it, could he? But you know what he did? He did what he could. And he brought some comfort food. And sometimes just some carnal supplies. And that's what Jonathan did for David. He gave him his robe. He gave him his garment. But not only that, you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'll show you one more. This one might be more of a peace offering, but still it's a carnal supply. You know the story about Abigail and Nabal. And Nabal was churlish. And Nabal is a type of the Antichrist. 1 Samuel chapter 25. But notice what uh, Abigail does. Saves the whole household from destruction, but nonetheless, she brings something to David and his men. Look at verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them down on asses. You see that? That's like, you know, Hebrew Uber right there, <laughs> right? Who set him up. Like, man, good. What's that? Yeah, DoorDash. Oh, oh, DoorDash. Okay, thank you for the clarity on that. <laughs> That's a good friend right there. Amen. <laughs> but uh, you see that, that carnal supply given like, like Barzillai and the carnal supply like Abigail, right? You know what David needed? He needed a meal. You know, you ever stop and think about when you go through some of the most difficult times? You know what you enjoy the most? A hot meal. Right? When you're stressed out, there's nothing better, and I'll get in trouble for saying this, than a big old tub of ice cream. Amen. Yeah. I won't even say the name of it, because I'll get blasted from all the brethren. Who gives her it? But, I mean, good grief. You know, nothing like a big old pint of Ben and Jerry's Chunky Monkey or something like that, you know? You say, well, they support the queers. I don't eat it because of that. I eat it because it's good. <laughs> but carnal supplies. You know what? Uh, some Christians, are, they're so stuck on themselves. 
they won't give another Christian carnal supplies. But Jonathan did. You see that? You know, the Lord does that for you. The Lord will supply you your wants. Oh, no, he'll supply all my need. Help yourself. He's giving you some things that you don't need. <laughs> Amen. Matter of fact, you've got a garage full of stuff that you don't need. I didn't say the Lord gave it all to you. <laughs> but notice this thing here. Not only carnal supplies, but notice this. Uh, Jonathan is supplying for any gives him combat supplies. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 4. Not only to give him carnal supplies like his robe and his garment, but then he gives him his sword and his bow. Isn't that a blessing? For a while there, we did a handful of years, the preachers and evangelists that I would run into, if I really liked them, I'd give them a knife because I like knives. You know what I mean? Well, for after a while there, it's just like too expensive to give every you know, preacher a knife. Good grief, you file bankruptcy after a while. But, you know, uh, here it is. Jonathan, I mean, swords can't be cheap. Bows can't be cheap. I mean, you buy a gun lately, good night. Take a mortgage out. But here's uh, Jonathan. He's a great friend. He's a supplying friend. He gives him combat supplies uh, like a sword and a bow. And that's just like Ahimelech over in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21. David needs uh, combat supplies. He goes over and talks to Ahimelech the priest. And over there in verse 9, uh, Ahimelech's like, yeah, here you go, man. Here's the sword of Goliath. Remember this thing? And David's like, oh, yeah, there ain't nothing like that. He said, take it. And not only that, but just like the Lord. The Lord gives you and I combat supplies in Ephesians 6, 17. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Not only does God supply our need carnally, but He supplies our need for combat. And you and I got the best sword. You know, there are all kinds of Christians. They, they've got the best weapon out there, but they just don't ever use it. But Jonathan was a great friend. He was a sentimental friend. He's a supplying friend. Look at this one, number three. Jonathan was a serving friend. Uh, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 20. We'll go ahead just a couple chapters here. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Are you even a, are you even a friend to anybody but yourself? You ever stop and think about that? Are you a good friend? Are you a friend worth keeping around? Do you ever uh, minister to somebody carnally? I know some of you do. I'm, I know some of you do. I'm, good grief. I'm, I won't call it out, but some of you all minister to us constantly carnally. That's a blessing. And, uh, and, but here, notice that he's a serving friend, 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 4. The Bible says here, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 4, the uh, Bible says, Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I'll even do it unto thee. He's a serving friend. He's a serving friend. All right, now notice this. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1, that this uh, Jonathan, a serving friend, he ministers to David's demands. You know, sometimes our friends can be demanding. Uh, down, they can get depressed, can't they? They can get worked up. And uh, if you're a good friend, you'll, that's a time where you can minister to that friend even though they're demanding. And that's a tough time. Like I said, I'm not preaching to you like I wrote the book on friendship. Very much have lots to learn, but the Bible is really laying this thing out for us. In verse 1, I want you to notice David, he's, he's up in arms. He's all frustrated. He's in a tizzy. He says, what have I done? What is mine iniquity? What is my sin before thy father? He didn't do anything wrong, did he? But David's worked up. But you know what? Notice this. He ministered to David's demand. In verse 2, Jonathan gives him the answer. 
He says, and he said unto him, God forbid thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. You say, how is that the answer? Do you really think Jonathan knew the answer? But he encouraged him, didn't he? He served him. You know, sometimes your friends come to you and you don't have the answers. The problem with men is men think they got all the answers and you don't. But you can serve your friend by ministering to their demands. What's wrong with telling your friend it's going to be okay? Well, what if it's not okay? I don't want to be wrong. Relax there, Paco. It's going to be all right. Just minister to their demands sometimes. Well, I'm all about standing for the truth. That's why you don't have any friends. You can't be friendly when someone goes through a rough time. You'd rather give them the answer than minister to them. I bet you Jonathan could said a thing or two about what really might take place. But you know what Jonathan's basically saying here? It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Sometimes your friends just need to know that it's going to be all right. And if you can spiritualize that, help yourself. Because when the roll is called up yonder, it'll be all right. And then, you, okay, you can refer to that. But sometimes your friends just need you to say, it's going to be all right. Just, just breathe. Just, just take a breath. Okay, so they get it in the face 30 minutes later. It's still going to be all right. I'm just saying a good friend, a serving friend, will minister to your demands. Notice this. He ministers to David's desires in verse 4. He says, whatsoever thy soul desireth. Are you like that? You ever tell your friend, hey, whatever you need, I'm here. And you're hoping that doesn't mean to call at 2 in the morning. <laughs> but if you would answer your phone at 2 in the morning, you would, you would help him out, right? I want you to see that David, or Jonathan, he uh, ministers to David's demands. And here in verse 4, he ministers to David's desires. He says, whatsoever thy soul, I believe he meant it too. You know, if he said, you know what I need? I need, uh, I need a waffle cone filled with butter pecan ice cream at, at one in the morning. I think he would have tried to do it. He had administered his, to his desires. Just reminds me of that old man in Gibeah uh, in Judges chapter 19. You know what he said? That old man that came into town, he said, let all thy wants lie upon me. Let all thy wants. Can I ask you this question? Is there anything with serving your friend that way sometimes? Not, not all the time. But have you ever just put yourself on the back burner and said, whatever you need, whatever you want, I'll take care of it? How about like Epaphroditus? Look at Philippians chapter 2. This is a great one. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, talking about the greatest friendship in the Bible. I think many times Bible believers are more interested in being right and having all the answers that they pay little attention to being a good friend. And if you're going to be a good friend, you're going to have to learn to serve people. You're going to have to learn to give people the benefit of the doubt. Listen, we know people can be pinheads. The brothers can be different things. Amen. <laughs> the brethren can be goofy. But if you're going to be a good friend, you're going to have to learn to serve them. Serve one another, right? You have to learn to be that servant. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Paul says, yet I supposed it necessary to send you to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. But look at this, but your messenger and he that ministered to my, you see that? To my wants. You know, I see this in effect uh, when uh, we have uh, my good friend, Brother Peacock, come. Some of you will minister to his wants. That's a blessing. 
you'll do this for him, you'll do that for him, uh, so forth and so on. That's what, that's what he's talking about. If you know a, a, your friend likes his uh, tea a certain way and he only eats a certain type of butter, right? You minister to their wants. Why? You want them to know that you care about them. You want to know that you love them and you want them to know that you, know, you want to serve them if possible. That's the kind of friend that Jonathan owned. He was a serving friend. And only Epaphroditus, whatever Paul wanted, I can just see Epaphroditus, he's just hoping and praying that Paul would say, boy, I sure would like, hey, go get it for him. Just like that. That's a good friend, ain't it? It's like those three mighty men of David, right? David said, oh, I long for a drink of the well of Bethlehem. And those three mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines and hacking and chopping. It was just Hamitic heads and arms everywhere and legs. And they go through there and they get them a big old a bucket of the water, a well of Bethlehem, and they bring it back to David. And David is just touched by their willingness to serve and minister to their wants. And so he pours that thing out to the Lord. But that's a serving friend. He ministers to David's desires. But notice this back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. In verse uh, 41 to 42, he ministers to David's devotion. He ministers to David's devotion. Listen, if you have a good friend and they're devoted to you and the Lord, you need to minister to that. You need to recognize what uh, your friend is trying to do. And a lot of this has to do with if we could just unhitch the wagon for ourselves from a little bit, we'd be able to minister to others. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41 to 42. And see, we're programmed the opposite way with the world. The world says, uh, I'm important. I'm number one. I have to do this. I have to schedule that. And that's all about me. And we do that. And we serve ourselves all day long. And we don't have time for anybody else. Look at this, uh, verse uh, 41, uh, 41 and 42. The Bible says here in 41... He said, as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. I see Jonathan ministering to David's devotion. There's a lot going on here, but first of all, I want you to see that Jonathan accepted David's respect. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 41, you see David falls on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. Do you accept respect from your friend, or do you, do you downplay it? Oh, stop it, stop it. Your friend is kind to you. Do you recognize it? Do you receive it? Do you, allow, do you minister to their devotion? Do you recognize the effort that they're putting into it? You see what I mean? Jonathan accepted David's respect. Not only that, but Jonathan acknowledges David's grief. Look at verse 41, and wept one with another. You know, sometimes you know what you need to do? When your friend's a mess and they need to cry, maybe just cry with them. The problem is, is we think we got the answer a lot of times. Your friend don't need an answer. Maybe he just needs a pool of tears next to his. So what if you did have the answer? Is that going to help him? Maybe he's not ready for the answer yet. I don't know. Sometimes you just need to be around your friend when they're down. And just They're crying, cry with them. 
He ministered to David's devotion. He accepted David's respect. He acknowledged David's grief. And how about this? Jonathan allows David to go in peace instead of adding to his problems. Look at verse 42. He says, go in peace. Like I said before, I think as a friend, we need to stop trying to solve everyone's problems and stop acting like we have the answer to the problem because you know what? We don't. And even if we were faced with the same thing that our friend's going through, I don't think we'd respond the same way. He allows David to go in peace. All I'm saying is he doesn't try to add to his problems. Sometimes when you try to give somebody the answer, you're adding to the problem. You're adding to the problem. Well, I want you to see finally here, we're talking about the greatest friendship, and Jonathan sure is a great friend. He's not only all that, but finally he's a strengthening friend. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. David's going through it. David's on the run. David's getting all stressed out and depressed and all frustrated and all that. You You know what it's like to be stressed out and frustrated. You know, you want things to go a certain way and... Here David is, he's been anointed to be king, and now the king's trying to kill him. I can't even imagine what's going through that boy's head. But look at here in 2316. The Bible says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. He's a strengthening friend. I notice this through the passage here to be a strengthening friend, according to the Bible, you know what you have to do? Sometimes you might have to change your perspective. You might have to change your perspective. Notice this in verse 16. The Bible says, Jonathan arose and went to David in the wood. First of all, I see here in verse 16, Jonathan had to get up. You can't see things the way your friends see them if you're sitting down all the time. Not only that, but you kind of have to get an understanding of what your friend's going through. Notice this. You know where Jonathan went? He went to where David was. He went into the woods. You see that? There's a, back in the early 1900s, or the late 1800s, there was a fellow by the name of Sam Rayburn. He was Speaker of the House, and longer than any other man in history, back when political leaders actually were decent and had some moral character and moral fortitude about them. His name was Sam Rayburn. Anyways, the teenage daughter of his friend had died suddenly one night, and early the next morning, the man heard a knock on his door, and when he opened it, there was Mr. Rayburn standing outside. Mr. Speaker said, I just came by to see what I could do to help. His friend replied in deep grief, I don't think there's anything you can do, Mr. Speaker. We're making all the arrangements. Mr. Rayburn said, well, have you had your coffee this morning? The man replied that they had not taken time for breakfast, so Mr. Rayburn said that he could at least make coffee for them. And while Mr. Rayburn was busy in the kitchen, a man came in and said, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to be having breakfast at the White House this morning. And Mr. Rayburn said, I was, but I called the president and told him I had a friend who was in trouble. And I couldn't come. Sometimes to understand what your friend's going through, you have to go into the woods with them. You have to go to where they're at. Not only do you have to get an understanding of where your friend's at, and Jonathan got, had to get an understanding of what Dave was going through by going into the woods, but Jonathan had to get to the underlying source in verse 16. It says he went to David. Can I just remind you what you already know? 
Facebook is not a real source. Amen? Social media is not a real source. As we have the church page, so forth and so on, and sometimes when you open that thing up, my boys will see some pretty crazy things. Unfortunately, uh, Christians. And you know what they do? They go to a source that is not a real source, an event. What is that? It's stupid. It's stupid to vent on Facebook. People go through that stuff, they're just looking to traffic in your trash. But Jonathan, he went to David himself. He had to get to the source. Why? He wanted to be a strength, strengthening friend. To be a strengthening friend, you have to sometimes be willing to change your perspective. You have to get to the source. And to be a strengthening friend, sometimes you have to change your position on some things. Just talking about the greatest friendship in the Bible, some things we learned from Jonathan. What a great friend. Notice here in verse 16, Jonathan changed his position about the kingdom. He says in verse 16, thou shalt be king. You know what Jonathan knew? <laughs> Jonathan knew that daddy was out. This is a moment of revelation for Jonathan. Jonathan sees the writing on the wall for King Saul, his father. And he says, you know what? You're going to be king. He changed his mind about his kingdom. Not only changed his mind about his kingdom, but he changed his mind about his kin. You see that? There in verse 16, he says, And I shall be next unto thee. It's wishful thinking at least, but he had to change his mind about his kin. Sometimes we're so loyal to our families, aren't we? We're, we're viciously loyal to a fault. But here's a good friend. He saw what was right, and he had to change his position on his kin. That's a, that's a hard thing. I don't even know if many Bible believers can do that. They say blood's thicker than water, but in Bible-believing circles, as one preacher said, blood is thicker than the Bible. Jonathan was such a strengthening friend, he had to be willing to change his position about his own kin, and that's about as difficult as you're going to do these days. Now, we're country folk up here, and country folk, the one thing I know about country folk is no changes happen immediately with country folk. And country folk are just kind of like, yeah, okay, and think about it back with you on it in about 20 years, you know. But Jonathan had to change his position about the kingdom, about his kin. And how about this one? Jonathan had to change his position in how he cared for David. And how he cared for David. Look at verse 16. He's now strengthening his hand in God. You say, how did he care for him differently? Remember at the first? First Samuel chapter 18, you know what he's doing? He was supplying his needs physically. But you see in the passage here what he's doing He's caring for him spiritually. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, 1 through 4, we see carnal and combat supplies, a good token of a true friend, you know, bringing him, you know, coffee and hot chocolate and your favorite flavor of ice cream. And, you know, if you know the guy likes guns, you know, you buy him some ammunition. But here, you know what? Things are bad. And he begins to care for him spiritually rather than physically. As our friendship grows... Jonathan sees that he must minister to his friend in a spiritual manner. And in verse 16, we see that Jonathan, the great friend, the greatest friendship in the Bible, strengthens David's hand in God. I wonder, I wonder what David's history would be written if there was no Jonathan for him. You say, well, he'd have been all right. Maybe he would have. But maybe the Lord knew that David needed at least one super good friend. 
and he ends up caring for him now in a spiritual manner. And you know what? Caring for someone in a spiritual manner doesn't mean you get to judge them and make sure you get them all the right scripture references, but maybe it just means you go over there and you do minister to them spiritually, maybe you pray with them. Maybe it means you take up and you pray for them. Instead of just telling them everything's going to be all right, you pray for them and you pave the way for things to be all right. There's a British romantic poet. His name was, uh, they call him Lord Byron. His name was George Gordon. He, uh, he grew up with the disability of a club foot. I don't know. Isn't that the fellow that kicked the ball for the Lions back in the 60s? No. No, just kidding. <clears throat> but anyways, as a club fit over in England, it kept him from engaging in activities that boys and girls would normally do. And he was kind of like of a pokey kid, you know, and he couldn't do a lot of things. But at any rate, he was, uh, history says he was a person of some courage. And one day he noticed uh, one of his childhood friends being beaten to a pulp by one of the school bullies. And I hadn't even finished reading this illustration. I'd take that club foot and club in that fellow. But anyways, that's not how it goes. Byron, completely unable to come to the boy's aid physically, nevertheless found a way to support his friend. Byron confronted the bully and asked him how many punches he planned on giving his poor friend. That bully roared back, what's that to you? And he said, because if you don't mind, I'll take half. So as a friend, the way in which we minister might need to change over time from physical aid to spiritual aid. I'm not asking you to ask the Lord to take a bunch of punches, but it's worth a thought. You might not be able to stop the problem, like this George Gordon, the club foot fellow there, but as a friend, maybe the Lord could use you to absorb some of the punches. Just a simple message on being a good godly friend. The greatest friendship in the Bible is between Jonathan and David, the way I read that thing. Of course, we know that Jesus Christ is the greatest friend anybody could ever have. He is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But as I draw this message to a close, we clearly see that Jonathan is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Matter of fact, the only unwise move that was made by Jonathan was that he never joined up with David in battle. And if you read the scriptures, he pictures a Christian who is unwilling to forsake all to follow Jesus Christ. The moment that David's kingdom was revealed to Jonathan by God, you know what Jonathan should have done? He should have left daddy's side and joined up with David and his mighty men. Staying yoked up with Saul occasioned the death of Saul and all of Saul's sons, as you know. And so our affinities and our friendships must be guarded. And much guided by God and his word, lest at any time we befriend one who is an enemy of the greatest types of Christ in the Bible. See, being on Saul's side actually made him an enemy of David. So I believe we've got to be careful about our friendships and our affinities. And I know this is probably an unusual message, but it's one that 
fits the bill. And if we're not careful with our friendships and how we do it, we'll befriend one who's an enemy of David and we'll lose our ability to lead right, we'll lose our ability to love right, and we'll lose our ability to live right for the Lord. So I just ask you this question in closing, an introspective ending, is what kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? Don't preach too many messages about that, but we come across Jonathan and David. What a great friendship in the Bible. I don't know how many times I've read the scriptures and I said, man, I wish there was another ending to that thing where Jonathan could have come through and they could have been fighting side by side and they're both bending bows of steels and hacking off Philistine heads. Man, that bitter. But that's not the way that Jonathan chose. But all in all, despite how history ends, that Jonathan was the greatest friend in the Bible to David. And every Christian needs a good friend besides the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't have any friends, as the one song goes, when everyone walks out, that's when he walks in. All right, why don't you stand? We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.